Well, it's my pleasure this morning to introduce a guest teacher and preacher. Uh, Reverend Jeff Thomas is preaching for us both in the Sunday School and in, in the service today. He hails from Wales originally and now from London. Uh, this is Gwenon's uncle. So really, Gwenon knew him as just jovial Uncle Jeff who would dress up like Santa Claus and lead party games and has a nice, enjoyable laugh we've been enjoying. But uh, Jeff was pastor of the same church for 50 years in Gwenon's hometown. It's where we were married. I still remember him preaching to us before Gwenon was going to move to the States and, and join the Air Force with me, preaching on, your God will be my God, your people will be my people, and many other sermons. Jeff has regularly uh, traveled around the UK and in the US. He's got his, his little clit, clicks uh, around the US. It's through that ministry that I actually met Gwenon when he came to our family camps in Arizona so long ago. Some of you hardcore Presbyterians will appreciate that he uh, attended Westminster Seminary in the early 60s under people like Ed Clowney, John Murray, Cornelius Van Til, and Jay Adams. He knew Martin Lloyd-Jones and John Stott. And this week, he's actually going to Southern California to MacArthur's church to preach with some of his friends, Sinclair Ferguson and Joel Beakey. He'll get to meet John Piper. He's not as interested in that. It is a precious opportunity. And I hope we can consider that, to, to listen to a man who has been shaped by 60 years of ministry. Deuteronomy 32.7 says, Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you your elders, and they will tell you. So my prayer is that God's Spirit will be with us now, that we would, we would learn from one of his servants uh, as he draws us closer to the Lord, uh, Jesus Christ. Let, let me pray. Our Father, we thank you for the grace you've had on uh, Jeff's ministry. We pray that that would shine through now, not to focus on him, not to focus on his beautiful accent, but to truly focus on Jesus Christ. May we, may we grow in appreciation for the, the universal and global God that we all serve. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, thank you for that lovely introduction. I much appreciate it. So I want to draw your attention to Nahum 1-7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knoweth them that trust in him. Nahum chapter 1 and verse 7. Now, no one can take from you God's providence. Should all the hosts of death and powers of hell unknown put their most fearful forms of rage and malice on. We shall be safe because they can't take from us the providence of God. And if you say, well, how extensive is that providence, then it reaches to the hairs on your head. It determines the fall of a sparrow. The providence of God brought you here this morning, and it brought me here too, with this message from Nahum chapter 1 and verse 7. There are three things that God wants you to learn from this session this morning. Firstly, that God is good, and then secondly, that he's a stronghold in the day of trouble, and then thirdly, that he knows them that put their trust in, in him. 
It's your providence then to hear this word. You're not here because of feelings. You're hard to think, I'll go to church this morning, I'll go to the morning Sunday school hour. It wasn't a lucky chance. It wasn't a human decision. It was God's plan for you. And I'm saying to you, you must remember that always, that uh, your inheritance is God's providence. Now, there are two pro prophets among the last 12 in the Old Testament who directed their warnings against Nineveh. You will know him instantly that the first was Jonah, and through his ministry there was a great uh, awakening and uh, repentance, and that lasted for many years, but then the effects of it died off, and then Nineveh reasserted itself as a, the most cruel and hateful and evil uh, nation. And uh, Nahum was raised up then, and he was raised to comfort the people of God and to warn Nineveh of uh, that the wages of their sin would be their eternal death. But here he is speaking a word to encourage the people. And he told them three things that I'm telling you. It's the word of God, and the Lord is good, that he's a stronghold in the day of trouble, and that uh, he knows those that trust in him. And if you say a thing often enough, then you all get, get to know it. Um, the first thing he says is that the Lord is good. We have a conference in Aberystwyth every, uh, every August. About 1,300 people come to it. It was started 60 years ago by Dr. Lloyd-Jones, and then we've had a f he wouldn't do a second one. You've got to find your own men. You've got to find your own leaders. And they've been some of the the great blessings of my life to have attended it, hardly missed one. There was a middle-aged couple that came to the conference. She got a stroke when she was in Aberystwyth, 80 miles from home, was in the local hospital. I would go and visit her and her husband, deeply earnest Christians. And I gave them this verse, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knoweth them that trust in him. They stayed behind, and he came by himself to church on Sunday, and then she got well enough to be driven home, but she died in the next year. And he would come by himself to the conference, and he would see me, and he would say, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knoweth them that trust in, in him. The Lord is good. There's no darkness in him, no cosmic malice in him at all, no evil intentions, no ill will, no impurity. He's a God of absolute benevolence, a God of integrity and purity and beauty and attractiveness. The Lord is good. He's good in his essence. He's good in his being. He's good in his heart. No matter how you creep up on him, you never find him then with any darkness. He hasn't got a past that he's ashamed of. 
There are no prerogatives in which he operates, in which he is less than good. Um, even in his judgment, he is good. His judgment will be absolutely fair. He will take every factor into consideration. Uh, no one will go from the throne of judgment in that great day saying it's a miscarriage of justice. He didn't know all the facts. God is good. You go into him and he's good, and in and in, and he's good, and in and in and in, and he's good, and in and in and in and in, and he's good. There's no rogue, bad molecules in God whatsoever. There's not a little dark space in heaven and a dark room and, and a dark cupboard and a dark box, and inside there is something that's not good. And there is nothing whatsoever like that. There is no inconsistencies in good, no, um, no tension under pressure, no weak spots, no sins of omission. Now there is a goodness that all, all Nevada benefits, all America benefits from his goodness. A goodness that extends to all of creation. He prevents this world um, disintegrating into hell. He cares for the world that he has loved and sent his son to, to save. And uh, Jesus can say, though you're evil, you know how to do good. People do. You have neighbors and they're such good neighbors. You wish they'd come to church. You wish they'd be more open to the gospel, but they're fine people. They don't fool around. They look after your plants or your pets when you go off for a day or two, and you're so glad to have them. There's a goodness because of an earlier grace in, in the land or in their families. Um, God looked at his creation step by step. Those uh, six days of creation, he said, it's good, it's good. It's good. Sin has spoiled things, but God's creation initially was good. And God is good in his long suffering. He's entered into a covenant with Noah, the covenant of common grace, the covenant of his goodness. And all the loveliest gifts, all the most precious things that you have, that you admire most and are so thankful for, your mind and your health and your loved ones and your children and the peace and the blessings you've got, all, all those, you are the recipient of the goodness of Almighty God. You go to the hospital to visit a friend and after you've spoken to her, you see the other beds around and there's no one visiting them and you, you can talk to them. You don't ask what they're in for. You say, um, how long have you been in? How are you feeling? When you're going out, any news? God has been so good to you, hasn't he? Because God is good to every single person. We are indebted. We are debtors to goodness alone. Not like the gods of the heathen, not like the, the gods, the Baals that uh, the prophets worshipped and they cried to him and danced before him and cut themselves open and bled until they were hoarse. There was no response. 
But when Elijah prayed, Lord God of Israel, Isaac and Israel, let it be according to your word, and the fire fell immediately and consumed everything there. So there is a, a goodness that God has to, to everyone. It's so predictable. We, we, we can rely on laws of gravity and oxygen and the kindness of people, just the goodness of God, all men. And, but there is a particular goodness then, which is ours, as those who've repented of our sins and have um, put our trust in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as the great answer to our guilt and shame. And, oh, he is so good to us. He works everything together for our good. He's put everything under obligation. If it touches us in any way, it's got to work for our good. We won't always know how it will be, but heaven will not be a place of frustration where we'll say, well, why the handicapped child? Why did I lose my, my wife? Um, why was I abused by a member of my family? Why, why, why? God will make everything clear. We see through a glass darkly now, but then face to face, to our total satisfaction, we won't be wringing our hands in frustration for the, the rest of eternity. We will see what we don't see now. We see through a glass darkly now, but, but then we will know, even as, as we are known. The goodness of God. He supplies all our needs for the weakest Christian, the newest Christian, the most backsliding Christian. And God, so good, so good to us. Um, let me apply then the goodness of God as I end my first point to you. Um, it helps us in worship. It gives our hymnody, the words we sing, the praise, the words. We have much to thank God for. Um, who is the one we are worshipping? You know Psalm 100, you all know it. All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. All of you sing with contentment and joy. And then, you know, we come to the fourth stanza of that metrical psalm, and then the psalmist says in verse 4, for why? Well, why should I sing to the Lord with a cheerful voice? For why? And then he answers it. For why the Lord our God is good. That's why you are to sing praise to him. That's why your posture from your heart and in your mind, because of the goodness of, of the God you serve. So it helps us in our worship. Then it deepens our trust in him. Um, you might know the story of the great young uh, Scottish covenanter, Richard Cameron. He was killed by the dragoons at Air Moss in 1680. And they cut off his hands, and they cut off his head, and they put it in a sack. 
and they took it to the Edinburgh jail where his father, Alan, a most godly man, where he was incarcerated because of his love for Jesus Christ and preaching the gospel. So they went into the cell and they tumbled out the sack with a with the head of his son and his hands at his feet. And he even said, do you know who this is? And he said, I know them. I know them well. They are my sons, my dear sons. It is the Lord. Good is the will of the Lord who cannot wrong me nor mine, but has made goodness and mercy to follow me all the days of my life. He trusted the Lord when this most grievous of, of calamities came into his life, the death of his son. God was, God was good. Whatever happens, God is good. He can never wrong us, he says. And the second thing that God wants you to know in providence, the Lord is good, he's a stronghold in the day of trouble. That's the second thing Nahum encourages God's people as they face the Ninevites in all their hatred. It's an interesting juxtaposition, isn't it? The Lord is good, but there are days of trouble. The health and wealth merchants say the Lord is good, and so there'll never be days of trouble. You'll always have a big house and a big car, and uh, you'll have uh, an apartment down in Florida, and a good pension and good health, always. No days of trouble, they say. And then the deep problems come. It's a groaning world. There are many Christians suffering in this world today. The Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh and it troubled him and he explained to God all the benefits that would come. If only God would remove this thorn, he could be travel more, he had more time for counseling, more time for evangelism, and why should God bring this thorn in the flesh into his life? And he uh, expostulated and pleaded with God, not once, not twice, three times, sessions of prayer focused on this. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you for you to do what I want you to do with the thorn. It'll keep you from pride and self-righteousness and self-confidence, because I want you to write letters to the Romans and the Ephesians and the Colossians and the Philippians, and there's a congregation 2,000 years time in Nevada, and they, they, they need you, and I want to prepare you for writing these. I want to show how great my grace is to them. Jesus says, you're blessed when men revile you, 
You are blessed when men say all manner of evil against you. You are blessed. You be exceeding glad. For all who have loved and served the Lord and lived a Christ-like life will, will be like their master. They won't be slapping you on the back and saying, what a wonderful guy you are. There's this phrase, the day of trouble. All right, a stronghold in the day. There are some periods in our lives when one trouble seems to beckon to another and one comes and then the phone rings and then the doorbell comes and then the car pulls up outside and wow, it's a day of trouble. Doesn't often come. It can come. And there's a stronghold. Jesus had one temptation and another temptation and another temptation. The psalmist said, iniquities against me prevail from day to day. There's an intensification. Our minds pressured, our physical body troubled with disease. But there's a stronghold there's always a stronghold. There's always somewhere to go where you'll be safe in the day of trouble. Um, my little country, Wales, has got more castles per square mile than any other nation in Europe. We have one in Aberystwyth. When the Vikings came into Cardigan Bay with their ships to plunder and rape and steal, then the bugles would sound and the people would leave whatever they were doing and they would come. They would pick up their children and pick up a few processions and they would go through the gates of the castle and the portcullis would come down and the drawbridge would come out and the archers would be there then behind the turrets and towers to defend the people. There was a stronghold where they would be safe. And we have a stronghold. Oh, safe to the rock that is higher than I. My soul in its conflicts and troubles would fly. How weary, how sinful I would be. Oh, blessed rock of ages, I'm hiding in thee. We've, we've got a place to go, a safe room. Oh, we've got one like that. We have someone to, to turn to. Um, Luther said, Ein Festerberg, a mighty fortress is our God. We have that fortress to go to, to put our trust in. We have a place of refuge that we can go to. You remember um, how it was with uh, Mary and Martha and their brother, their beloved brother Lazarus. He, he was unwell and he got worse and worse and the local medical staff of those days couldn't do anything to help him and they sent for Jesus. He whom thou lovest is sick. They sent a call 
He didn't say, well, he's sick and it's the sovereignty and I'm just a fatalist about these things, nothing we can do. They sent to Jesus, are you weary? Are you heavy-hearted? Tell it to Jesus. Are you grieving for joys departed? Tell it to Jesus. Are you anxious about tomorrow? Tell it to Jesus. Are you troubled at the thought of dying? Tell it to Jesus. For God's coming kingdom, are you sighing? Tell it to Jesus. The hymns are full of that. There's another hymn. When anxious that the crimson tide that flowed from his dear wounded side should for thy cleansing be applied, Tell Jesus, when saddened by the strength of sin that oft disturbs thy peace within, and victory seems so hard to win, tell Jesus, when death, regardless of thy moan, has claimed thy dearest for his own. Oh, carry not that grief alone. Tell Jesus, when in his service oft depressed, the few receive the heavenly guest. Don't be discouraged like the rest. Tell Jesus, because he knows, he cares, he loves. Nothing that truth can dim, and you pour out your heart to him. Scripture says John the Baptist was murdered, and his disciples took up his body. He was just early 30s with a mighty ministry, and Herod had cut off his head, and they took the body, and they buried it, and the Scripture says, they went and told the Lord. It was all over. John was dead, but they went and told the Lord. You don't keep your sorrows and sufferings and put pressure on your heart to try and bear them. We are weak people. Cast your cares on him. Tell him. He numbers the hairs of our heads. On the throne of grace, there's a mercy seat, and there's grace to help us. Tell Jesus. Who will you go to when your marriage is on the rocks? Who will you go to when your children ask you how they should live when they start staying out late at night or not come home at all? Tell Jesus. When the weakness of old age comes and you don't have the vigor that you once had, and you know you're nearing the end. When death comes nearer, tell Jesus. If your home is destroyed by the, f the, the storms that Western Florida has known, the horrors of the news pictures there, to whom do you go? To whom do our Christian friends go? I have a, a Christian friend there in Fort Myers I've written no reply. I pray for her. I hope she's going. I know she'll be going with her husband to the same Lord I'm going to. We've, what a help we have. What a stronghold we have to enter. You know, people, they, they make the most horrendous choices when trouble comes into their lives. Over and over again, they wander from one counselor to another and you know, it's the open plan office and the girls come in early and have a nice weekend and they, they open the newspapers and they turn to the horoscopes 
He said, who, Mary, tall dark man is coming to your life today, and hoo hoo hoo, they all think it's funny, and ooh, now's the time to invest your money. Look, oh, you're a Libra, aren't you? Ooh, now's the time, hoo hoo hoo. And they mock it, they say, we don't take it seriously, but the next day they open their newspapers, and they, because they haven't, they haven't a stronghold to go to. They haven't got somebody who is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting Father, a Prince of Peace to turn to. Some go to drugs, some go to cults, some go to communes, some go on the road, some emigrate. Some say, well, there's no purpose in life. It's wrong to ask, is there a purpose? What life is all about? It came about by chance, a big bang. What is the purpose of life? Does the grave snuff you out? It's a long day's journey into nothingness. Is that what it is? To whom will we go? To whom are you going? You know, this is why we exist as a gospel congregation, to, to point you to a great stronghold where you can be safe, where you can go, where you can have advice and counsel and uh, strong people to help bear you. You bear your, your burdens. Come to me, I will give you rest. That's what he promises. It's a divine promise. Go to him for forgiveness. He's come to deal with the huge problem of, of human ego, human sinfulness, rebellion. And he has come and he's taken it. He's absorbed it. It's been laid on him, not for his wickedness, for he had none, but because he loved us. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree, we're told. Go to him for protection. There was an axe head that didn't belong to the man, it floated. The shoes on the Israelites' feet as they went through the desert, going to the promised land, didn't wear out. God is concerned. When death draws near, a sovereign protector I have. He has all the resources of heaven and earth. He can help us. You can climb any mountain. You can ford any river. You can carry any burden. No trial that comes to you will be too great for you because he is this mighty stronghold. His resources are never exhausted. If the whole world, if all Las Vegas came to him today, he could cope. If all of Nevada came, if all of California, if all America came because they knew Jesus was here, he could cope. Every man and woman, every boy and girl, 
he could cope, he could give them rest. I will never leave you, he says. He won't mock us. He won't trouble us. If you reject my Savior, who, who have you got? Who, who are you going to go to now? If you don't put your trust in Jesus Christ, who have you got in the future? Where, where will you turn? The Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. And the third thing then that we learn is that he knows those that trust in him. Now, when it says he knows, that isn't a reference to his omniscience. Um, that he knows everything. It, it isn't referred to awareness. In the Bible, very often to know means to love. It's much more affectionate than encyclopedic. And so the NIV translated, he cares for them that trust in him. Well, you know um, how God speaks through Amos. And he says to the people there, you only have I known of all the nations of the earth. Well, of course, he knows all about it. Babylon and Assyria and Egypt and Moab and about America and Wales. He knows. So it's not saying that he has academic knowledge of the subatomic particles and the pictures that we've had of the telescopes in space now that show us the vastness and he knows it all. He's not saying that. But he loves those that put their trust in him. Um, we're told in the early chapters of Genesis that Adam knew Eve. Well, it wasn't just the knowledge that she was five foot two with eyes of blue. Um, but it was an intellectual knowledge, it was an affectionate knowledge, it was a passionate, it was an intimate, it was a personal knowledge. It's the message of Hosea, of the God who loves, as Goma was loved, who when they were bidding for a slave, she'd become a slave. And she heard a voice saying, 50 shekels, they hear 60, 70 shekels, 80, 90 shekels. And he bid and bids and bids until he buys her back for his own. And God saw you making a mess of your life. And God said, I'll have, I'll have him, I'll have her. And I'll pay the price. My son's precious blood, he did. It's the message of Ephesians 5, isn't it? Of Jesus Christ loving the church and giving himself for the church to wash and purify and have her as his bride. 
to love her with all the passion of a husband, a beautiful husband, a caring husband for his wife. The whole commitment, the whole jealousy of a man for his wife. God going to Calvary, God giving himself a love that's prodigal, a love that's passionate, sparing not his son because he loves twerps, failures like ourselves, his deep, deep love. Who are these people that he loves? Well, they describe for us here those that put their trust in him. Those that take refuge in him. Here is something impregnable and, and, and they trust. They know what panic room they can go to and close the door and they're safe as houses. You can trust in everything about Jesus Christ. You can trust all he does, all he permits. You can, you, he knows what he's doing. You can commit your business, your company, the government, the tradesmen, the pension schemes, and then you can't trust them. Absolutely. But you can trust him. Absolutely. He's worthy of complete trust. He'll never let you down. Never. He always keeps his word. When he says it's finished, it's finished. Redemption is complete. And now he's applying it to millions and millions of people all the world over. All that's been done for the reconciliation of men and women to himself has been done. And all he asks of you is to put your trust in him. On Calvary, only two things mattered, what Jesus Christ did and how God responded. Nothing else matters. Nothing else is relevant. How you feel, sometimes you feel religious, sometimes you feel good, sometimes you feel enthusiastic about the Christian faith. But what is important is how a holy lamb of God reconciled a sin-hating God to all those for whom Jesus gave his life. He laid our iniquity on his son, and he did it, and that was everything. So you are to receive it. It's your providence to be here. It's my providence to be here and take these things to you today to remind you that God is good. You, you better believe it, that there's a stronghold in the day of trouble that you can rest in and be at peace about, and that he loves with an everlasting, life-changing love 
if your faith is as thin as a spider's thread and it is lodged in Christ, that faith will take you across the bottomless pit. It will take you across the lake of fire. It will present you faultless before him in great joy. Well done, good and faithful servant. He will welcome you. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. He loves those who put their trust in him. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, enable us to receive and believe. We do believe. Help our unbelief. We make a heap of all our works, all we've done, and we make a heap of all our sins, and we run from them to be lodged in the wounded side of the Redeemer that place of safety, that stronghold. Help us, Lord, we pray. Give us great grace today. Oh, for grace to love thee more. Be with us now, we pray, and in the hour ahead. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.